Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We are going to John chapter 10. Father, open the word, open our hearts. We would hear with faith. We would have soft, yielded hearts to you, that which is truly you, speak loudly. We we love you and long to obey. And I pray for the grace, Lord, to let your word speak and, and not be in the way. Come, Holy Spirit, and do a mighty work. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus has been teaching, uh, a group of, they're in the temple, I'm sure, a group of Pharisees. He's, he's discussing with them le- leadership, and uh, he's talked about the good shepherd, and he's presented himself as the door to the, sh- to the sheepfold. He's both. The good shepherd who laid down his life, he is the door through which all sheep who want to come into the kingdom of God must pass. And then he, then he said that he, as the good shepherd, had more sheep than just Israel that he would go out and he would have to go all over the world and call people from every nation, tongue, and tribe, that the, the great flock of God would be gathered from more than just the flock in Israel. Uh, this was something he had, he had come to save uh, people from all over the world. And then he said this, verse 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it again. This commandment I received from my Father. Would you read verse 18, whatever version you have? Let's read it out loud. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. That phrase, my own initiative. What he says is, I, I place it and push it away from myself. He says, I have the authority to take my life, put it down, and move, push it away. And he says, and I also have authority to take hold of it again. I have the authority to take hold of it again. Love and freedom. It's confusing to hear people talk about God controlling everything. Because everywhere you look, he has given so much freedom. He gave humans freedom. He gave angels freedom. And now we hear the Son of God telling us that he too had been given the freedom to choose whether or not to die on the cross. He says the Father gave him authority over his own life. So that he could choose whether or not to die for our sins. And even to choose when he would rise from the dead. God doesn't give people freedom because he doesn't care what we do. He gives freedom so that people can choose to obey. He is inviting us to partner with him in his great work of redemption. To be the instruments through which he performs his good works. And as a result... To share in the rewards that follow. If he took that freedom away, it would change everything. 
He could force us to do the right thing, but that would reduce us to slaves. Of course, he wants us to obey and seek his guidance in all our decisions, but that is very different from forcing us to do his will. Though he would have every right to do so as our creator, God refuses to dominate or manipulate. He reveals his will and then invites people to follow. Let me stop there. There is, there is a large school of thought in Christianity. Well, I mean, a, a school of thought is a weak term for it. Where the whole thinking is, God is in control. No matter what happens, no matter what tragedy occurs, no matter what ugliness on, on, on the planet goes on, your answer is, yeah, but God is in control. Meaning, he's somehow in charge of this. He's, he's made it happen. Or you can try to step back a step from that and say, well, he allowed it. But in whatever way, he willed it. And in willing it, you have to assume that there's some kind of good in all of this. And, and, and so no matter what it is, no matter what hideous, ugly, violent, gross kind of thing it is, you have to say, but God is in control. This kind of thinking is a terrible distortion of God's character. It is slanderous. It is disgusting. And it is not biblical. There's nothing that is taught in the Bible like that. It does say he's in control of human history. Aren't we glad? Somebody's got a, the, the steering wheel and, he, and the brake. And, and he, will, he, will, he, will, he allows, you know, within huge boundaries. He does have his hand over all things to keep us from absolutely destroying the place so future generations still get a chance to hear about him. So he's kind and he manages this. But within this, he has given freedom. He has given individuals freedom and all sorts of things happen. One uh, famous atheist, just, and, and honestly, he, he, he'd raised a Christian and, and they all are. Uh, there's this, always this angry reaction. And if you press them, it is usually they grew up in a church where God is this dictator who's controlling everything. And then you look around at the hideousness of the world and go, well, what's he doing? If he's good and he's all-powerful, why doesn't he stop this? And you go through this kind of thing, and then you begin to question his character. And see, there's a moment of, of comfort in it, that God, 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 God's in charge. God's in charge. And you get a moment of comfort, but I'll tell you what the, the price of that comfort. The price of that comfort is the character of God. Nobody can be willing this or even allowing some of these things in some sort of direct sense and not be evil because the things are evil. They're horrible. So this, 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 this uh, famous atheist said, he likened God and he said, heaven is just nothing but a celestial uh, prison camp. He sees God as a dictator running a prison camp. I don't know, the man died not too long ago and I prayed a bunch for him. Because the God he hated, I do too. <laughs> I do too. Because it's not God. Think of it. He gave the angels freedom. Why would you give angels freedom? Just snuff them out. And swat them like a, with a bug zapper. Just take them out. Excuse me, I'm, 
I'm messing around here. If you're here, just, yeah, I think there are angels, so I'm, I don't want to insult them. I'm just, just being funny here. Um, he gave, when, when he created Adam and Eve, he put them in the garden, and he put something specific in that garden. You want to talk about a clear testimony to how God works. What did he put in the garden? Two trees. One was the tree of life, in which if you ate it, you lived eternally. The other was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, don't eat that fruit. If, he, if there was no such thing, then you have a beautiful garden in which people, it is like a, a, a really nice prison. There's nothing evil you can do. There's nothing wrong you can do. It's, you got lots of fruit. You got lots of stuff. It's a beautiful place. Uh, but there's no, no alternatives. It's like if, if you and I were pushed, stuck in a prison cell and they gave us a nice sleep number bed and a you know, flat screen TV and, and we could order off a menu, uh, it'd be a nice place, but we're still in prison. See this? So he puts the tree there and he says, you're free. You're free to obey or not obey. From the very foundation of the human race, he gave the first humans freedom. Why? He doesn't want slaves. He wants children. God does not need us at all. In, in a, he's not lonely. He's not up there going, man, it's just kind of boring, right? Angels and you know, harps. They get tired of harp music. And, and I, I just need people. That's not it. Love is a strange quality. It is the one quality that does not wear out with use. It actually grows with use. If I love one, I can love two. If I love two, I can love three. If I love three, I can love four. If I love four, I can love five. And God can love infinitely. And he just wants to love. So he made us in his image. He gave us a, a rational mind. No animal has such a thing. You do. You can, you can think and talk. You can anticipate your death. You can understand humor. All of these things. Animals never know those things. You're made like him. Why? So he can talk to you. And you can talk to him. Now, he's, he's our, he wants to be our father. He is the smartest. I mean, it's hard to think of this. He can literally make this universe w with a word. He is really smart. But if you think about it too much, it's intimidating. But he's also, as our father, tender. He knows us. He's patient. He formed each of us. This is how great he is in the, in the womb with a plan and a purpose for our lives. He knew us before the worlds began. And he's waited for us. He's even watched over history so you'd get here. Isn't that kind? He waited for you. He waited for me. He wouldn't let things stop until everybody, all the children, were in the house. Nothing's going to stop it until I get the last one who will come. That's, the, that's what you have in the, in the book of Revelation. You have God taking the world and just wringing out the last soul. That's what it's about. He's wringing out, getting every single soul. The world gets divided. You're in or you're out. There'll be no middle ground, no fence to sit on. This God who gives freedom, is what we're seeing with Jesus right now. 
He says, my father does not make me die. He has asked me to die. He has given me the freedom over my life. He has ordered a commandment and said, your life's in your hands. And so he says, I freely lay it down and push it away from myself. And I have the power to take it up again when I want to. Isn't that cool? I have the power to take my life up again. This is done in freedom. He does rightly and sternly, God does, warn us about what will happen if we disobey. Yet he refuses to make the decision for us. Why? Because he wants children who choose to love and obey him. Not slaves who mechanically serve him. He's given us the gift of freedom so we can give him the gift of obedience. His love for us has set us free so our love for him can fully surrender to him. You know, you might come back at me and say, well, Paul calls himself a slave. In Romans 1.1, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus is the way we translate it because we were embarrassed by the word slave, but it's just doulos. It says, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Well, there you have it. Is he a slave? Yes, but who made him one? Paul made him one. Paul, God calls Paul his son. We've been all adopted. We are, in Christ, we are sons, men and women, by the way. And the reason they do that is so that there's no distinction between a daughter and a son. We're all in the same position. We are all in that position of sonship because we're joined to the son. And so Paul is a son. That's who God calls Paul. Paul says, yeah, but I love you with all my heart. I believe in you. You are the most important thing in the world to me. And I want to give you everything. I give you my, I give you my right to marriage. I give, you my, I give you my health and safety. And my very life. I give you my fortune as a, as a, as a, as a wealthy uh, uh, rabbi, Pharisee. I give you all of that. I leave it all and will end up with scars all over me, probably damaged sight, uh, and have my head cut off in a Roman uh, on the road to Appia, uh, the Appian Way. I, they'll, they'll cut my head off. No, it's the road to Ostias. Give me. I'm your slave because I love you. That's why Paul became a slave of Christ Jesus. After repeatedly telling a group of Pharisees that he, he, the good shepherd, was going to lay down his life for his sheep, Jesus wanted them to know three things. First, his death was voluntary. Would you say that? It was something he had chosen to do. God was not making him do this, and humans had no power to take his life. Second, his death was a step of faith. Would you say that? He was confident in God's promise that he would not stay in the grave, but he would rise again from the dead. And third, he wanted them to know that, let's say this, his death was his gift of love to the Father. Because the Father loved him, he had given him the freedom to choose whether or not to die, and because he loved the Father, he would gladly obey. At that moment, he was explaining the relationship between himself and the Father. But as he did so, he revealed our relationship with him as well. 
This entire passage, uh, John 10, 17, and 18, about, well, the 1 through 18, about the good shepherd centers around the fact that Jesus will lay down his life to save us. His death is what sets him apart from all others who claim to be the savior of God's people. The good shepherd is the one who is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. And it is his death that qualifies him to be the door through which every human must pass in order to enter God's sheepfold. He, his death singly, before Old Testament and New, from the beginning of time to the end of time, no one will come into heaven except through the, the, the death of Jesus Christ and resurrection. In the course of this discussion, he also said that those who believe in him will come from all over the world. God's flock will be a diverse flock made up of people from many different languages and cultures. But before he finished his, this teaching about the good shepherd, he wanted everyone to understand that his death would be something he freely chose to do. And he wanted them to understand why. What Jesus said. I believe this is what the Pharisees heard Jesus say. This is a tough piece of, of Greek. I have labored over these two verses all week long. Just reading them and reading them and, and, and doing all the study I can do. And I believe I have the, the heart of what this is saying. And here's what I hear it saying. This is the way the Father has shown his love for me. Jesus speaking. He has given me complete authority over my life. He will not force me to die, nor does any human have the power to kill me. I am choosing to lay it down, confident that I will take hold of it again. So what I am about to do is a gift of love. I am doing this because I love the Father and I long to rescue my sheep. And I will remain in the grave only as long as I choose to. Not even death has the power to hold me. I will rise from the grave on the third day. As I have said before, I will rise from the grave on the third day. Did you see that? He says, this is, this is what the Father has commanded. He says that I, that, that I will lay down my life, and then it's so that I can take it again. So that I can take it again. It's all it's just tied completely to, yeah, I'm going to die so I can take my life again. In, Jesus speaking, in his love, the father has asked me, not forced me, to become the sacrifice that will pay for the sins of the world. And in my love for him and you, I gladly choose to do so. But at no point am I a victim. My death is voluntary. And I am in full control throughout the entire act of redemption. Again, as we have mentioned earlier, this statement by Jesus contains three important truths about his death. Let's try to understand each one. First of all, his death was voluntary. Would you say it again? One of the best ways we can understand what happened to Jesus is by comparing it to an example of what did not happen to him. God did not treat his son the way Abraham treated his on Mount Moriah. Listen. Let's read this. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. That's not what happened to Jesus. When we go to Israel, I'm already excited about the next trip. I just, I just really enjoy it. We, um, I discovered several years ago we can go to Beersheba. 
And uh, I didn't, it's not on the normal tourist map at all. And, uh, and there is the ancient city of Beersheba, really well preserved. It's amazing. Well, that's where Abraham spent most of his life, that in Hebron. And uh, when, he, when, when Isaac, their son, uh, Abraham and Sarah's son, was about, I think it's about eight or nine years old, they went from Beersheba to what is now Jerusalem. Uh, he, he did with Isaac. Do you remember this? He took him with a donkey and a load of wood, and it would have been some fire. You would have had a little, probably a clay pot and, and uh, some ropes on it or whatever with some coals in it, and you'd keep feeding this thing to keep it going. So you had your fire and you had your wood on, your, on the donkey, and he took little Isaac with him and headed. And when we go, to, we go there to the tell, I like to sit, they have a tower on this thing, and we all go up there and I say, now everybody look right up there, and we, we look northeast, to the, to the southern end of the, of the, of the hill country of, of Judea. You can see the trees and all. And, and it's 50 miles. He, just, he went right up there somehow. Isaac and Abraham went right up there and went to what's Mount Moriah, which is where the temple or the, uh, the Dome of the Rock is right now. That, that hill is Mount Moriah. And when they came to Mount Moriah, you recall Isaac said, Father... We have the wood, we have the fire. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham's answer was, God will provide his own sacrifice, my son. Jehovah Jireh. And uh, at some point in this situation, he, he built the stone altar. He put the wood on it. And then I don't know if Isaac's helping here, probably doing something. He trapped his son. I've heard people say, no, righteous Isaac offered himself. Then why did he tie him up with ropes? It says that. No, he, no kid at eight or nine is going to do that. I mean, not in the, he trapped him and he tied him. And he takes his son and put him on that stone thing. And then he had a knife literally up in the air. Talk about tr needing counseling in the future. I mean, have you ever thought of that? I mean, I'm not trying to be silly. I'm really think, saying it. I mean, you'd want to sleep in a different tent with dad, than dad. I mean, it just after that, it's just, there's a talk about, whoo. I mean, here's this boy, and your father's grabbed you and almost killed you. That's terrible. I mean, really. And, and of course, God never intended this to go through. This is, he hates human sacrifice. This was never meant to go through. But he was testing him. And so Abraham ties and binds his son and lays him on the altar. And in that place, which is, by the way, just a few, really hundreds of yards from where Jesus was crucified, God the Father did not do that. This, this is, Abraham's literally modeling something. This is very prophetic. Here is the place. God says, someday my son will die here, not yours. But I will not bind him like that. Abraham apparently trapped Isaac and then bound him with rope in order to lay him on the stone, that stone altar. Isaac was a victim, not a willing sacrifice. He had no choice in the matter. He was nearly murdered. Now compare that with what Jesus is telling us about his own death. 
He said the father was not going to trap him, bind him, and place him on an altar. What was the altar in this case? The cross. He would willingly lay himself down. You just see that over and over again. I will lay myself down, place myself down on that altar. How did he do that? He waited in the garden of Gethsemane for the soldiers to come and arrest him. Think of that. There he is in that garden of Gethsemane. He knows what's coming. Can you picture this? You can hear these soldiers coming. And remember, they were not Roman soldiers. This was the temple police. These were the Levitical police, along with a number of the religious leaders. They came with clubs, torches, and swords. So you hear this marching, this noise coming. He stands there after, and we've just gone through this, this time in Gethsemane in which he's totally dealt, had to deal with the horror of what's in front of him. And he stands there knowing what will happen to him and waits for them. And when they come, he says, leave these go. Peter slices off an ear of one of his attackers. He sticks the ear back on. Wow. Talk about free. Talk about choosing to do this. In other words, what happened to, what happened to Isaac was not going to happen to him. He would lay down his life voluntarily. As we read through the Bible, we discover that Jesus made a conscious choice to die on at least several occasions that we know about. The first must have been in heaven before he came to earth. Paul says he chose to become a man so he could die for us. Listen, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And Paul's been talking about selfless love. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant, slave, and becoming made in the likeness of men. Paul says, he's telling us, look, how, look at Jesus. Look how he put our needs ahead of his own. That's the message. It's there. And he's saying, uh, Philippians, you do the same. You, you treat each other the same way. That's, he's teaching something pastorally. But did you hear what he just revealed to us? He said, Jesus in heaven shared the, the absolute glories and benefits full. He's, he's divine as the father is. He has all of this glory, all of the angels, the, 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 all of that. And he said he did not regard that equality with God, a thing to be grasped. And the word is grabbed onto. He didn't cling onto it. Say, no, 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 no. I don't want to leave. He let it go. Not regard, but, but, Emptied himself. It literally, the, the word is, take a coat off and put it down. The privileges. He, he can't stop being who he is. But he can lay the privileges and the glories of heaven. He can lay it all aside and became, humbled himself to become a man. That's why we have a manger there. That's why we have a stable. What an amazing moment. This, 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 this son of God ended up birthed into human form and became, he became a human as human as you are. He's really a human, doesn't just look like one. He's limited now. He's one of us and will be forever. He's a resurrected man. You can hug him. I'm, I'm, if it's allowed, I plan on 
plan on kissing his cheek. We'll see if that's slept. <laughs> Bet it is. That means Jesus fully knew what would happen to him before he left heaven and came to earth. As a second very powerful choice was made at his water baptism at the Jordan River. He had no sins to wash away when he presented himself to John the Baptist. Yet he insisted that John immerse him. To him, that water must have become a symbolic grave. He would lay himself down in it as a way of saying to the Father, I know what will happen to me if I step into this ministry to which you have called me. It will lead me to the cross. And I accept your will. In response to this, the Father opened the heavens and sent the Holy Spirit and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus comes out to the Jordan River. John sees him and says, why are you here? You don't need this. In fact, you should baptize me. I know who you are. They're first cousins. He says, I know who you are. What are you doing here? Jesus says, no, I need to fulfill all righteousness. I'm going to have to, I have a death to do. And so, so, is he standing there? He's not going to wash his sins away. That's what John was doing with everybody else. You were washing your sins away and confessing your sins. And that moment, Jesus changed water baptism for Christians forever. It ceased to be a washing. And it became a grave. I, 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 that's, that's why later on, a month later, when John saw him, he said, this is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus explains this to him, I'm sure of it. So he, he takes him, and, and what Jesus is saying to John now, John, bury me. Look, he'd read Isaiah 53. He'd read Psalm 16. He'd read Psalm 22. He'd read Daniel, 7, Daniel 9. He'd, he, 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 Zechariah. He knew what would happen to him. If, remember, he hasn't, he hasn't done one thing in ministry. He's just been a really good eldest son. Now he shows up. Nothing's happened. No miracles. Not one. He shows up at the river. He's read those passages. He knows they'll tear his beard. They'll spit on him. He knows he'll be pierced. He knows he'll be, he knows he'll be his hands and feet. He knows what they'll do to him. He'll be crushed beyond recognition. The people will turn their faces in horror at what they'll do to him. How would you like to say yes to that calling? He shows up at the river. And he says, John, bury me. He's saying, Father, I, I receive it. I know where it goes. I say yes to the cross. John buried him. Up he comes. And what happens? Heaven's open. The Father says, my beloved son. And the power of the Spirit baptizes him and anoints him right then. And from that moment, his ministry begins. A third very significant moment took place at the Mount, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray and began to glow like the sun. He was apparently in the process of being lifted directly back into heaven. He was so pure, he had no death had no power over him. At that critical moment, Moses and Elijah came to counsel him about the death he must die at Jerusalem. And then he returned to his normal human condition. And afterwards, Luke says, he was determined to go to Jerusalem 
to die. He, he set his face to Jerusalem. You remember this? He goes up on the mountain. I think it's Mount Hermon. He goes up on the mountain. And be, as he's praying, he begins to glow like the sun. Peter, James, and John are there. And what's happening? He's, because of his purity, because of his holiness, death has no right to him. He's literally translating right on into heaven. He's just stepping across. It's, and he's not, I don't think he's doing this. I don't think it's just, it's just happening. Who shows up? Moses and representing the law. Moses wrote the law. And Elijah, one of the great prophets. And they counsel him. It literally says they talk to him about his departure. They talk to him about his departure. They then leave. The glory lifts. And he returns to his normal state. Goes down the mountain. And there is a boy with a terrible demonic oppression. And it says, and he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Wow. His death was a step of faith. Would you say that? Yes. Having become a man, Jesus had to walk in faith just as we do. That means he chose to die trusting God's promises, which said he would rise again from the dead. We hear him say, I lay my life down so that I may take hold of it again. There are many promises in scripture that speak of the Messiah dying and rising. But let's look at one Jesus surely held on to as he faced death. In Isaiah's great prophecy of the suffering servant, Ebed Yahweh, he first describes the servant's violent death. But as soon as he has... As he's done that, he describes his resurrection and the reward. I, I, it was too long to, to write in here. Would you look at Isaiah 53? You have that there. This is, you want to memorize some scripture. You would serve yourself well with Isaiah 53. Isaiah has, I'm going to just, I can't not read some of the earlier. Listen to verse 4. He's describing, this, this is just, this is so radical. There's, <laughs> there are people who won't even read it. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Remember I told you about his, uh, he takes our grief and our sorrow. I love that. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. In other words, Isaiah says, when he was crucified, the people thought he was being punished for sin. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And here's what I was mentioning earlier. The chastening for our, our what does your say? The word is shalom. The chastening for our shalom fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. And he says, oh, we like sheep. And he, he, he goes on and he describes it. He, I mean, and he even tells that, that, that he would be buried with a rich man. All of these things are there. And then look at verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a what? Guilt offering. There it is. That's what you, that's what you put on those altars. That's what you lay your hands on and confess your sins. If he would present himself as one of those, a substitution for our death, for our, for our, for our sins. He, then, then here's the promise. Here's what I believe Jesus held in his heart and knew that was coming. 
He will see his offspring. If you're his offspring, raise your hand. He knew you'd come. If I will do this, they will be saved. Whew. He will prolong his days. That's no dead man. That's something he's raised from the dead. And the good pleasure of, of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And the result of the, soul of his, the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. He will die and then he will rise and see the reward. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant will justify the many. He will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. And he will divide the booty. That's the stuff you conquer when you, you conquer uh, an enemy. He's, and in this case, who is it? It's people that the devil had. He's going to take the devil's treasure. You. And he's going to take them. He will divide them with this. And he, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that. When, they were, when he's waiting in the garden, here in the tramp of feet and the, and the clatter of the swords, he knows if I'll do this, that's what's going to happen. He died by faith. When Jesus spoke about his death, he usually spoke about his resurrection as well. In his mind, the two were deeply connected. They were both part of one event. His assignment was not simply to die, but to rise again on the third day. Death was not the end. It was the ugly step that had to be taken to break the power of death. And when he asked, when he asked him to lay down his life as the good shepherd, the father also gave him the authority to take it back again. As surely as he chose death, he also chose life. Third, his death was a gift of love. Would you say that? It wasn't the nails that held Jesus on the cross. He told those who came to arrest him that at any moment he chose, he could have called out to his father and he would have had at once put at his, my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. And it wasn't a spear through his side that ended his life. He was already gone and before he left, he had announced, it is finished. And then bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The spirit, the, the, no man took his life. He Bowed it, he said, into the, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He left when he wanted to. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we are allowed to watch Jesus struggle with the horror of what lay ahead of him. But then we hear him say this, My Father, if this cup cannot pass away, unless I drink it, your will be done. We hear the Son talking to the Father. And we hear him make a full surrender. The son was choosing to die because he loved the father and us. And the father gave him the freedom to make that choice because he loved the son. Love and freedom. Death was, pardon me, Jesus' death was voluntary. It was a step of faith. And it was a gift of love. And that's how God wants us to walk with him as well. Because he loves us, he has given us the freedom to choose whether or not to obey him. He's inviting us to join him in his great work of redemption. To be the instruments through which he performs his good works. In other words, he is treating us the same way he treated his own son. The question each of us must answer 
is will we respond the same way his son did? Would you stand with me? Blessed be Jesus. Blessed be the Lord. Giving this freedom to the human, human race has been a very costly thing for God. It's been a very ugly thing in its own way. We've made a, a terrible mess of things. But in the course of it, men and women, one at a time, have said, God, I love you, and I trust you, and I choose I choose to surrender. I choose to follow you. I choose to obey you. That's why he's doing this. That's, the, that's only through that process will he have children, not creatures, children. God in his great love made you and gave you the freedom to say no to him so that you could choose to say yes to him. So you could surrender to him, so you could give yourself to him and follow him and, and, and long to be like him. And he then gives himself to you, your, his, his spirit to you, and his presence to you. He, he, he walks, takes you by the hand and teaches you. He, every time you sin, he washes you off and takes you further. What a good father he is. What a loving father he is. We hear the father and the son having this conversation. We hear Jesus saying, this is how my father's treated me. I lay down my life freely and I take it up again. This commandment I have from him. And you and I are called to give ourselves freely to him as well. Would you, would you pray with me? I'll just pray and you can just agree if you will. Heavenly Father, we thank you with all our hearts for the kindness for, the, for, your, for your love for us and for giving us the freedom. Freedom, yes, to say no to you, but freedom in the hope that we will repent of that and come to you this day. We say to you, we surrender with all our hearts. We give ourselves to you. We would be sons and daughters of the living God. We want to be like you. We give you every area of our lives. Our, our, our thought life, our, our financial life, our, our moral life, our, our, just our time, everything about us, we, we surrender it to you that we might be uh, your vessels, your instruments through whom you bring your wonderful work in this planet. We would walk with you, serve you, become like you. We love you as you have loved us. We love you and give ourselves wholeheartedly and freely to you. Thank you, thank you with all our hearts for sending Jesus. In his precious name we pray it, amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.